This is the Workin' With series, presented by your host, Hayley Sudbury. Listen in each month to find out who we're working with. Hayley sits down with some of the world's most exciting leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the companies they love, their definition of success, and the real secret behind it all, their superpower. So I'm joined here today with Arlen Hamilton, who is the founder of Backstage Capital. We're in M by Montcalm in Shoreditch. She's visiting London to share with, I think, London-based investors what diversity looks like in investing and to share what is different about Backstage Capital. For me, I came across Arlen at Summit Series this year. It was certainly someone that came onto my radar as, as a woman who is leading this fund that is radically different to mm-hmm. anything else in the venture world, focused on underrepresented groups, particularly women, LGBT, and people of colour. It's fabulously exciting, and um, I really wanted to learn from Arlen today around uh, why she's doing what she does. She has a, a, a background in the music industry. I'm also interested to understand how that, that change kind of happened from music industry to, to VC. So rather than just tell you, I'm going to actually ask her. So Arlen, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, firstly, how did this fundamental career life shift happen <laughs> from the music industry to VC? Well, yeah, so the music industry, I, like that's a very nice way of putting it. So I was working in the live music production side of things, which is like the, you know, the, definitely the working man side of the music industry. So nothing glamorous, but I was, I had worked my way up to touring with arena level artists, worked re- really hard to, to get there. And once I was there, but um if you've ever worked in the music industry in any way, especially on tour, you know that there's like no union, there's no health insurance, it's no guarantee of uh, a job from one gig to the next. And so while I was having a wonderful time and enjoying life at the time, uh, you know, it, was, it would be a month here, or four months there, or, you know, a gig here, there. So it really wasn't something I felt was going to be sustainable anyway. So the funny thing is I was making noise in that world about diversity, the lack of diversity at the tour manager level. I remember I emailed Michael Rapino, who's the president of uh, Live Nation, and I just emailed them straight out and I said that they they weren't doing enough to have to set themselves up for the, the right kind of diversity at the tour manager level, which was, I, I look at those emails and I'm like, yeah, okay, if I hadn't done this, path, I probably would have done that. So I had been working in, in, in live music and then I was on and off tour. And when I would go off tour, I'd have a few weeks at home or wherever I was. And I would just start, you know, researching things. I'm always curious about things. Learned about some place called Silicon Valley. I'm like, oh, what is that? That sounds weird. It's, you know, it was like uh, as foreign to me as hearing about hedge funds or something. It was like something that wasn't, that I understood you know, on the on its face, but I didn't completely understand what it was. And once I learned more about Silicon Valley and the state of mind of Silicon Valley, I learned that startup founders were really like my people, my tribe, because they were building something from nothing. And they were a lot of times, you know, tackling their own pain points. And they were sometimes outsiders and outliers and all of those things I had been described as and felt like. And so, uh, you know, at 32, I was discovering, wow, like 2012, I was like, oh, wow, this is something 
you know, I used to have a magazine and it went under and I thought I was a failure, but now I'm really actually just a founder who didn't, you know, exit basically. And so got really excited about it. But then quickly learned and found out that it's the land of opportunity, but only for some. And that was really frustrating and disappointing. And once I realized that that less than 10% of all venture funding goes to women, people of color, and LGBT founders, and I am all three of those things, I said, well, I can be really upset about this and just sit here, or I can be really upset about it and then also try to do something about it. And in the meantime, maybe get wealthy because I believe in those founders and maybe they all, some of them will turn me into a millionaire. So I really put all those things together and said, okay, how do I do this? And at the time, you know, from 2012 to 2015, I was uh, homeless for most of that. So uh, a drifter, a grifter, whatever the word is. So um, I just started knocking on doors, figuratively, literally. And uh, ultimately, in uh, the fall of 2015, an angel named Susan Kimberlin gave me a chance. She wrote a check to see what I could do. She introduced me to Jocelyn Goldfein, who was, uh, used to be the head of uh, engineering at Facebook. She then wrote a check, and then Jocelyn introduced me to Lars Rasmussen, who created Google Maps, and he wrote a check. And then I just had that confidence to keep going. Wow. So it is a story of the American dream, almost, <laughs> like from homeless um, to building a it fund. Re- yeah, it really is like a... I told them, don't make a Lifetime movie out of this, because <laughs> it really lends itself uh, to that. So tell us a little bit about the actual portfolio you have right now. Mm-hmm. So um, originally I set out to invest, I said I was going to, it was 2015, and I said I'm going to invest in 100 companies by 2020. And that to, at the time, everybody thought I was crazy. They really did. They, no one thought I could do that. I thought I could because I was seeing so many great companies. So today, first quarter of 2018, we are at around 80 companies. And so we'll reach 100 this year, uh, two years ahead of schedule. And we invest in about 2% of what we see at this point. So so we've seen quite a few companies, 3% at first and two now. So, you know, maybe 3,000 companies total at the end of the day. And, um, yeah, they're all over the U.S. We're agnostic investors for the time being. So that means we have everything from peel-on nails that are pivoted to B2B where they uh, do uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in marketing with, like, movies that come out or something and you want, you know, your logo on something. On like, the on, nails. On literally your nail. To mind-flown drones, to... Uh, diamond GAN technology that's in in space that shoots back uh, to strengthen the the uh, speed of Wi-Fi um, to beauty products and, and clothing and more and more blockchain and fintech is coming our way and um, so it's just a wonderful group of people and and every company with the exception of one has a the reason we invested is because they had a woman or a person of color, or an LGBT founder, or a combination intersectionally. And, I mean, you mentioned it's sort of a, a wide-ranging portfolio. Yes. 
or the 3,000 companies mm-hmm. you've met, for example, are you seeing some key themes come through? It's more and more blockchain, okay. uh, which is awesome because we kind of we kind of get to see the future before everybody else does because they're we really are like uh, looking through companies that a lot of people just ignore, and so. When you look at it on a whole, you see that uh, there is a trend. So there's a lot of people looking at blockchain, interesting ways to use blockchain. So a lot of the companies, uh, the founders are tr- tackling their own pain point. So there's a lot of fintech solutions, you know, some viable and some not, in my opinion, but there are a lot of people tackling that. And so I think if we were to do a vertical fund next, it would most likely either be a blockchain fintech combo situation or it would be regional and can you maybe share a story about one of the founders you've backed recently who's maybe having a, a few wins in market and looking to do you know the next round of funding uh the very first check i ever wrote was to kairos which is a facial and emotion recognition SaaS product and They've gone through ups and downs. They've raised a lot of money, and then they've, you know, done what a lot of companies do and run out of capital, and they were having trouble. And we were there with them, you know, ups and downs. And they actually um, were having a lot of trouble raising a Series A. They just couldn't. They just couldn't make it happen. And they said, okay, well, let's look at this in a different way. And it's a it's a black man who's the CEO who used to walk into a room with his white female employee and everyone would go to her first as if she were the CEO. So in that combination, he would be the one considered like he couldn't have, couldn't be in charge, right? Probably used to not, that not happening, but in that combination. So he went from that to learning as much as he could about crypto currencies and blockchain. He opened up an ICO. He did it very meticulously, stringent. Under the SEC regulations, it wasn't like it was the wild, wild west, like a lot of these ICOs are. And so far, so good. So he raised $14 million within a matter of weeks Wow! with uh, $900 million in interest, which that never comes to fruition on these, but conservatively will raise $50 million. With the $14 million, his valuation has already gone up to a point that has eight and a half X'd our investment. And that would have been within two and a half years, less than two and a half years. I found him maybe four and a half years ago online, didn't have a penny to my name, really wanted to invest in him. And he was one of the reasons I started looking for funding. So we, with that, you know, there's still a lot of story left to his company, but it will be a bit of a liquidation event for us. So we'll be able to, to give a little bit back to our LPs for that first fund and then still have some in the game. And we're going to, I'm definitely going to go back and uh, buy more. Fantastic. So like, that's exciting. Beyond access and capital, and we've talked about that a little bit, what other challenges do many of the founders that you work with face? Um, just the, the, again being underestimated, being um, uh, just assumptions being made about them. Like in the case where I mentioned Brian, he's a black man. He walks into a room with anyone else, except for like the next thing would be a black woman, so they would go to him, right? There's all these hierarchy, but you know he has he worked at Apple for years. Uh, he led an international team there. Uh, he put the first. Uh, I think a couple hundred thousand into the company is a lot to him that you that that's kind of amazing you know and but he's relegated to oh you must be 
somebody's employee. And so that's for him. And then if you add on the fact that if you're a woman, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, and if you're a woman of color, oh my goodness. And so it's just like most founders that I've met and that are in our portfolio or who uh, apply to get funding, all they want to do is work on their company. And yes, the fundraising part is part of that, and that's a hard slog, but they have this added part of fundraising not coming to them because of who they are. And that is a whole different mental game and a whole different uh, thing to tackle. So it's one thing that you don't get funding and you're, you're you know, walking up this mountain and it's like, it's really hard and like, oh, we may have to shut down. But imagine, and I guess you wouldn't have to, but you know, if you can put yourself in someone else's shoes, any of us being something that you're not right now, it's like, imagine what it's like to be something. Like for me, the way that I think about it is I'm black, I'm gay, I'm a woman, I have all these check marks that kind of make it difficult, but I also am able-bodied. And so I, when I'm trying to explain to maybe a white man or someone about privilege or a white woman about privilege, and they don't get it, I, I say, you know, I have privilege, even though I'm, you know, I'm not a victim here. I also have privilege. And the point of it is that sharing my privilege does not take away from from what I have, you know, I think that's the the misconception, is that if you sh- if you share your privilege or if you amplify someone else, somehow you you have you're left with less than. It's just not the case. So it's um, it's just a tougher, in my experience and in what I've seen, it's just a tougher road for any underrepresented founder. Having spent time in London. Mm-hmm. What's your impression of the VC and startup community here? Since I've been a, a VC, I've only been here a couple of times. One, the first time was with Will I Am at Wembley, so that was like two years ago. So I didn't get to see anything. Although I did meet uh, one of our portfolio companies that during that trip, which was awesome. But this time around, um, kind of had like a crash course in in the ecosystem. I, I met so many people. Everyone that I've met kind of has the same theme going that they feel like it's um, a little, uh, they're a little behind. And what I say to them is like, actually, this is where I'm excited because this feels like America uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago, it doesn't mean it's a great thing, but it, there's so much opportunity. The same way I saw opportunity two and a half years ago to say, look at what's going on. Let's, let's not Let's not hide this. Let's not, you know, let's call it what it is and try to do something about it. And then 80 companies later, here we are. That's what I look at when I see this landscape in London. It feels like there's a lot of talent, a lot of diverse talent. And on the other side, there's a lot of capital. And that capital on the quote unquote traditional side is looking. Not everyone knows that they're supposed to be looking yet. But the ones who are are looking. And it's kind of funny because it's like, I feel like I'm in this split screen here where I'm on one side, I'm looking at all of this diverse talent. I'm seeing it in droves. On the other, I see all this money uh, coming from like mostly older white men. And they're saying, and the older white men are saying, where is the talent? And the talent is saying, where's the capital? And I'm looking at them both and they're just on the other side of the door from each other, the wall. And all they need is to have the door opened and they can kind of see each other. I would hope that backstage, my fund, could could help do that in a way. And so you've got one European investment then? Yeah. We are invested in um, a clothing company. It's also, um, so Lady Gaga is um, 
one of her designers uh, started a company, Nancy Tilbury, started a company with Ben, and I met them through Will I Am's tour manager, and I was working for her at the time for a week. I just did like a fun gig to go back to my roots, and it was like the the biggest gig of my life because it was Wembley Stadium in the Eiffel Tower in one week. But I met Nancy, and they you know they're building basically art and clothing, you know. Uh, things that can be that can become um, moving art pieces and I just thought it was really interesting what they were doing with combining tech and art and uh, music and um, so we've invested in them to uh, I think what we'll see them do is in a few years it'll be very normal for large groups of people at concerts to kind of be connected to each other rather than just attending a concert and leaving I feel like these things that you see at like the Super Bowl or at these big events where um, Taylor Swift is having the entire audience, uh, their ring is turning a different color based on the song, that sort of thing. I think more and more of that will happen and it'll be uh, where a lot more people, it's, it's very odd that people at concerts don't meet each other after concerts. Like it's like a really good place to make friends and like a social place, but it's completely not set up that way. And I think that uh, although they're not a social company, I feel like what they're building could help with that. And so that's just kind of a personal interest of mine. But other than that, that is the only um, uh, UK-based company that we have. And uh, we're definitely looking to see if we can do something here. If I came to work for you tomorrow, Mm -hmm. what would be the first thing I'd notice about how you do things at Backstage? Mm -hmm. I think you, I would hope that you'd notice that uh, everybody has like a really good time and they feel very comfortable. They feel, I, I, I've worked since I was 15 and 37 now. So I've, I've worked, you know, in the, out in the world for 20 years and like, you know, I've had some really great bosses, like my most, most recent one, Jeff, who was British, uh, tour manager, a mentor. But before that, it's pretty terrible, you know? And so like, I always daydreamed while I was working at these different places, a pizza shop or, you know, data entry, like oh, the night shift and just go in and you do the same thing every day and you just, what impact does it have? I used to daydream about a company that I owned and what that company would look like and feel like. And so I try to every day have the company that I would want to work you know, work at and be employed by. So I think you would notice a lot of really talented people who are given the wings to not only be themselves, but kind of reach their potential and not just be a piece of a whole. It's like uh, the way that I look at it is I want everyone to feel like they each have a, a startup and it just helps backstage. So um, hopefully you would see that reflected. So what about when when things get tough? Mm-hmm. Who do you pick up the phone to? <laughs> when things get tough, uh, the person who just sent me a text message, my mom. <laughs> um, so when things get tough, I, I do a lot of self-motivation. Uh, my mother has just always been someone that I look to for that. She she gives great advice, and it's been a joy like sharing this recent success with her because I get to help her travel and all the things that she kind of um, didn't get to do for so long, raising me and my brother. I get to actually help her do now, so that's a lot of fun. And then uh, I have a fiance, 
Anna. So she's like, she's German, so she's super logical. And like, we're, you know, she, she's just, she talks me down all the time. And I'll just tell her, like, I'll tell her the problem and she'll just like, well, okay, here's a solution. Here it is. And she doesn't even know she's doing it, but she's so logical and calm and reasonable. And it's really helpful. So the two of them mostly. And then every once in a while when I want just some straight shooting, call my brother. He's a rapper in Dallas mm-hmm. and he just tells me. So I have this really great diverse group of like this crew, right? So I have this uh, a white German very uh <laughs> she tells it like it is in her own way then i have my black brother who is a rapper in in dallas and uh has neck tattoos and he tells me in his way but he, you know he's on the radio in dallas he does a, sh- uh, a radio show on the largest hip-hop station in dallas every sunday k104 and um so i don't go to him too often for advice because he's usually calling me but when i do it's always like he's some sort of Yoda. It's like, how did you know? He's my younger brother. I'm like, how did you know to say that? And it's just like, you just got to, you know, every once in a while, he'll just say these gems that I'm like, oh, my God, when did you get so wise? It's crazy. So probably the three of them. What is your superpower? Uh, I can be in an elevator without looking at my phone in discomfort. I've noticed that that's my superpower. It must be because I every time I get in an elevator, someone is, is 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 fidgeting with their phone, and everybody they can't look at each other and they can't stand this twenty four seconds of silence and closing. And I'm just like, it's okay. You don't have to rush to find something to do to not. So I actually think it's a superpower because it's uh, something's in about that. Also, I can um, recognize the potential in people very early. And under circumstances that don't always show themselves to be such a determination of what they could do. So I feel like I'm not only in the companies that we invest in, but the people at backstage that we invest in as uh, employees. It's really something that I'm proud of is that I've put together like really great teams. What does success look like for you? So backstage success is that in five years in the U.S., um, or less. Um, when you say underrepresented, you don't mean a black person, you don't mean a woman, you don't mean an LGBT person when you're talking about tech. Success in a way is being obsolete. And so on a personal level, it's having been a part of representation in tech so that in a few years, there are role models. Uh, more there are now, but like more and more role models who are people of color and women LGBT, who they are the status quo. They are part of the status quo, and they have gone on to. Hopefully, we've enabled some companies to have a little space to grow. Some of them have exited at that point, and then those founders and those employees become angels themselves. It goes back into the ecosystem. That's the big idea. Well. Alan, it's been fabulous to meet you. I'll say thank you, good luck, and uh, I look forward to reading about more of your success. Thank you very much, appreciate it. You've been listening to the Workin' With podcast series. You can find us on iTunes and at workinwith.com. That's W-E-R-K-I-N with.com. with.com.